I really believe that God's word transforms our lives. I, on my own, have nothing worthy of sharing, but if I've got God's word, it's transformative because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to help us in these times of waiting, times of wandering. We're going to dig in uh, over the next few weeks in this brand new message series I'm so excited about. Um, It's on the book of Exodus, but really only portions of the book because it's a really big book and it would take us a long, long time to preach through the whole thing. We're going to focus specifically on some of the Israelites' days in waiting and in wandering. And what we're going to see is that the Israelites, well, they did a lot of wandering, not just through the desert, but they oftentimes wandered away from wisdom. They wandered away from God's call. They wandered away from God's purpose in their lives. And the reason we're looking at this is because I think there's something that I can learn and and you can learn. Because it's pretty natural for us when we read stories, Bible stories and others, that we kind of put ourselves in the position of the hero, right? So we read the story of the Exodus, and we read about Moses and say, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm like a, a junior Moses here, right? I've got that courage. I've got that boldness. I, I'd stand there that, just like Charlton Heston. I'll stand there, let my people go. That's who I want to be, right? Remember that Ten Commandments movie? I remember watching it growing up on TV, and I never could stay awake until the parting of the sea. Like when I was a little kid, I'd always want to see it, and I would miss it every time. It was a big deal the year I finally stayed up long enough for that. But you know, we have this picture of Moses, and he is an incredible hero of our faith. But the reality is, we're often more like the Israelites, We're often like the ones who are kind of just, well, we want to follow the Lord, but we get distracted and we go this way, and and maybe we're on track for a while, but then a bad thing happens, and and we just, oh, God, how could you possibly let this happen? You you must not be real. You must not be faithful. I want to go back to Egypt. I just want to go back where it was easy and slavery. I didn't have to worry about all this stuff. We do some of that. We do some of that. We want to revert back into our old sinful ways or, or our ways of us being on the throne instead of God being on the throne in our lives. We wander from wisdom as well. Today's story is about waiting on God. And this is an extreme example of waiting. It's probably the extreme example of waiting in the Bible. But don't let it miss you just because it's extreme. Because I think it's very relevant to all of us. You see, the book of Exodus begins with God's people in a very bad place. They are in Egypt, and they are enslaved. So let's back up the truck to see how did we get here. Well, God, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before, God had made covenant with a man named Abraham, his wife Sarah, and he promised that he was going to give them a child, give them a family, and that through their family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, that's a pretty tall order, right? Especially considering that Abraham and Sarah could not have children. They they couldn't do that. So when they heard God say this, there was some doubt. Sarah even laughed about it, like, you got to be kidding me. This is not going to happen. It's really hard to make your family into a great nation when you can't even have a child. What are you doing, God? But God is faithful. He's faithful to his covenant. And uh, soon enough, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, and Isaac 
uh, would become Abraham, Isaac, and then his son Jacob would become the father of the people of Israel. Jacob's name would later be changed to Israel, and his sons, his descendants, would become the leaders of the 12 tribes, the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So life's pretty good there um, as we're starting off, uh, but, but then you had this interesting incident where one of Jacob's sons, his name was Joseph. And Joseph was, he was Papa Jacob's favorite, right? He was, he was his favorite. And so he was really um, not great at being humble about that. He liked to kind of brag about it and tell his other brothers how much better he was than all of them, right? And so he then uh, gets kind of sideways with his brothers, to say the least. They get so mad at him so tired of this stuff, so tired of his bragging and whatever, that they decide to sell him into slavery. <laughs> you thought you had family problems, right? <laughs> if, your kids are sell- if your kids are selling other of the- your children into slavery, that's a bad day right there. But that's what they're doing. They sell him into Egyptian slavery. So Joseph is hauled off to, to Egypt. He-, he remains faithful to God, even in the midst of all that stuff. And God works miracles, and he elevates Joseph from from the pit of slavery into a place of prominence and power, where he is the number two guy in all of the land of Egypt, right? So, and in that position, God reveals to Joseph that there's going to be a terrible famine that comes. And so he he empowers Joseph uh, to be able to... um, uh, to be able to feed the people, like they uh, collect extra food and they are able to survive this famine. Interestingly, the famine spreads uh, a lot broader than just Egypt. It spreads up into the place where Joseph's family was at in Israel. And so, uh, so Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt uh, for the purpose of buying food. Little do they know, the guy that they're going to buy food from is their brother that they sold into slavery years before. Now that's awkward, don't you think? So they, so they get there, and finally uh, Joseph reveals himself. They move the whole family down to Egypt, and life is great. The family's growing, and all this stuff happens. Uh, Jacob is bodied. He's buried there, and he says, please take my body someday back to Israel when we go back there. Well, a lot of time's going to pass between now and then. Why? Well, trouble arises. Exodus chapter 1 verse 5, in time Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, The people of Israel outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Then we will escape from this, then they will escape from this country. So he makes a plan. Pharaoh chooses to enslave all the Israelites. Now, this is just evil, it's wrong. It wasn't the will of God. God, does, God is not for that. Uh, no person should attempt to own another person to enslave them. Uh, it's, it's evil. And, and the, but yet Pharaoh does it. In his mind, he's turned a liability, these people of Israel, into an asset, right? Now they are working for him. They are building cities. They're farming. They're doing all these things to further the Egyptian economy. So in Pharaoh's mind, this is a win. And this continues generation 
after generation after generation. For over 400 years, God's people are enslaved. This is the same people to whom God had promised Abraham that he was going to bless the whole world through. God, this does not seem like we're on track right now. This does not seem like your plan is going to work out. It does not seem like you're faithful. Imagine what that would have been like. What did your dad do? He's a slave. What did your grandpa do? He's a slave. Great-grandpa, slave. What are your kids going to be? You guessed it, slaves. Day after day, toiling in the desert sun, praying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Night after night, going to bed, hoping that maybe God would work a miracle because you believe that he's faithful to his promise. Imagine the pain, the difficulty, the wait. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I can be particularly impatient about a lot of dumb stuff. Let me tell you, like, you know what the worst one for me is? When you're driving along and in the light ahead of you, it turns yellow and the person in front of you stops. Don't they know? Like, didn't they do driver's ed, right? Red means stop. Green means go. Yellow means step on it. We all know that. It's like, this could be two minutes of my day here, right? Like, how ridiculous, right? I'm not good at waiting even on little things. And I bet you're, it's probably not your favorite thing either. I mean, maybe, maybe some of you last week, you just stopped in and sat in your doctor's waiting room for an hour just to get the experience. It's a little weird, but, you know, maybe that's you. But for most of us, we don't do that kind of stuff because we hate to wait, People were in a long-term wait. Why? Well, I can't fully explain everything that happens, but I tend to think that God allows this because God gives all of us free will, including powerful people like Pharaoh. In every situation, you and I, we have the opportunity to choose good or to choose evil. God has given us free will. I say, well, why did he do that? We often use it for bad. Well, we do but we also often use it for good. But at the end of the day, God wants a people who choose to love him. And if you don't have free will, you can't choose to love. You have to have free will in order for that to happen. I mean, for example, when I pick up my phone and I tap the screen here, an app opens, right? And I don't at that moment look at my phone and say, you really do love me, don't you? You, you did just what I asked. I, oh, I just, I love this phone. It's so great. No, it's a computer. It has no choice. There's no free will there. If it's working properly, it's got to do what I tell it to do. That's not who God wants us to be. God instead created us as free agents who have the ability to choose him or to reject him in every decision that we make to choose the way of the Lord, to choose the way of holiness, or to reject it. We, we have this as a choice, and we have to decide how we are going to live. God holds humans accountable for our actions. We all are. Sometimes that accountability is seen here on this earth, but always it's seen in eternity. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. 
And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ was offered once and for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting on him. These are words, my friends, of both hope and judgment. We have this sin problem, every one of us, me, you, every human being. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, our sins have been paid for. Like when Jesus went to the cross, he took your sin and my sin, the sins of the world, and he gave his perfect, innocent life so that our price would be paid. Wow. That's an an incredible gift. It's the best gift ever. But again, God wants us, we are free will people. He wants us to choose him. So that gift is not forced upon you. That gift is offered to you. And you have to make the decision. Will I say yes and choose Jesus in my life? Or am I going to try to do this my own way? Because that doesn't end well. Because I can't fix my sin problem. My, my sin plot problem, it either gets addressed through Jesus Christ or it gets addressed, eternal, addressed eternally in separation from God in hell. That's not God's will. It's not God's desire for that to happen to any of us. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to give his life for the whole world so that to all who call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. So the Israelites, they were suffering because of the selfishness, because of the fear of and because of um, the greed of some evil pharaohs who were harming them, who were enslaving them for over 400 years. All those prayers that went up, and yet we didn't see the fullness of it. We didn't see the answer we wanted to see. Have you ever experienced that? You pray to God, and it just it feels like your prayers are like bouncing off of the ceiling, right? And you ask God, and, and you, when we ask God, I, I pray, I always want and I expect a, a yes. I pray in faith. We're supposed to do that. But that doesn't mean that I always get a yes. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says Wait which I tend to interpret as no, because I want it now. It's easy when we look back in hindsight to see some of the waitings as good times and and good experiences that we needed to have, but it's really difficult when we're in the moment and we get that wait answer or we get that no answer. Because when we pray, we, we believe that what we're asking should be the right thing for us to have. Sometimes it is, maybe other times it's not. Sometimes we'll understand why, other times we may not. Sometimes as Americans, we get kind of a a confused version of, of what the gospel really is. We take verses about God's goodness, which are absolutely true, but... We, we try to apply them as like guarantees in every single situation so that like if we are somehow faithful enough, we will never experience pain or difficulty or hardship. Uh, we, we won't get sick. Our kids won't be jerks. Our parents won't be jerks. Our, you know, everything will work out great. We'll have all the money we need and more and all that stuff. We, 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 take, it, we take it to a place where God never promised it. Just look at virtually every hero in the Bible. Virtually every one of them goes through suffering, through pain. Some of of them even die 
because of their faith. They're martyrs. Yes, I believe that God absolutely wants the best for you, me, and all of us. I believe he wants to bless us and to prosper us, to be our, for our lives to be full of many great things. And that is our ultimate reality. Ultimately, that's what a faithful follower of Jesus receives. But that doesn't mean it always happens in my time frame. And it doesn't mean it always happens in its fullness here on this earth. Remember, God has all of eternity to work with. John 16, Jesus says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. So he promises right there, we will have trials and sorrows. We will have pain here on this earth. Count on it, expect it. I wish I could tell you that being a Christian takes away all of life's pain and difficulty. That would be dandy, but it would be a lie. God didn't promise that. What we know is that we have all of eternity. Jesus has overcome the world. Even death is no longer a threat to us because in Jesus we have eternal life. In a place with no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, we have that hope. God promises us that after death, for the follower of Jesus, there's no second death, no separation from God, no condemnation or wrath. You could say it this way. For the Christian, this life is as close to hell as you're going to get. For the non-Christian, this life is as close to heaven as you will get. And God wants all of us to experience heaven. That's why he sent Jesus, a free gift. But he didn't promise me a a comfortable Christianity, a cost-free Christianity. He didn't promise that. He didn't promise that I would always get everything I want when I want it. He didn't promise that. I, I, I love it when that happens. Oftentimes it does, but there's other times it does not. See, if, if I buy into this false version of faith, what I'm ultimately doing is, is building my house on the sand. And when the storms of life blow and the winds and the waves rage, that house isn't gonna stand because it's not built on truth, it's not built on anything real, it's built on this transactional version of God that somehow I could manipulate God into doing my will if I just push all the right buttons. Nope, it's not how it works. God is the one who's all powerful, not me. I don't want a faith that's gonna be blown apart the first time the storm hits. A few years ago, I was, uh, was doing my doctorate at Asbury Seminary, and they put us together in these like small groups, uh, like kind of like bands or life groups in a certain, probably more like life groups, um, that we would support each other through this process over the next, over those few years that we were in that program. We were having our first meeting, and I, if I remember right, there were six of us in the group. Three of us were Americans, three of us from other countries, and we were going around the room just kind of sharing about our ministry context and what life was like for us because we were each pastors. And the two, first two Americans, uh, they shared about, about their churches, and one thing you got to know about me is, like, I'm a, I'm a competitive person, like, overly competitive probably and I'm listening to these stories and I'm I'm embarrassed to admit but I'm in my heart thinking oh I've got a lot harder than those guys like that's pretty cushy stuff right like wait till I get to share my story well then we get to of course I'm at the end we get to the the next person um 
uh, whose story I don't remember, honestly, then the next person who was from Nigeria. And he told about the persecution that he and his church were facing at the time. And he told us that in the last year, there were three different times where, the, where their church had been raided by child soldiers who came in. And in fact, one of those times they had the pastor tied up face down and he had a 12-year-old with an assault rifle up to his head who was arguing with a 14-year-old as to whether or not they should shoot him right then and there. Then we get to the next guy. He was from India, a a province in India that was suffering extreme persecution. And he talked about how in a neighboring town uh, a month before, There was a church service just like this happening. Evil men broke into the service with weapons. They shot some people. They took the pastor outside and burned him alive. Burned him alive. And my friends talked about how excited they were to be in this program so that they could go back and take new hope to their brothers and sisters in the faith. They didn't want to stay in America. They wanted to get back there. And then it was my turn. And all I could say is, I don't know why I have it so easy in life. I don't know why God has called me to the place he's called me. I get to serve people who are kind and loving. I don't know what it's like to have my life threatened. I don't even know what it's like to really miss a meal. And I was humbled by their faith. It doesn't mean that your struggles and mine are not real because they're not to that extreme. But boy, it's easy to get the context messed up sometimes. It's easy to think that my problems are worse than everybody else, that my suffering, my hurts are worse than everybody else. And when we look at examples like the Israelites or like my friends there, we recognize that God moves and God works in all sorts of situations. And people can remain faithful to God through all sorts of difficulties. I'm always inspired to to listen to the stories of faithful people because it strengthens my faith. The best chapter for that in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11. Some call it the hall of faith. You should go home and read the whole thing today. I'm just going to read a portion of it to you. In an earlier part, it talks about Moses specifically and what a faithful hero that he was. Then it continues, and it's talking about a number of people just generally, these heroes of the faith. It says this, By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, and they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. I love it. I I love it. That's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want to see. These miracles and signs and wonders and God's power, it's real. I believe in that stuff. We've seen it here in this place. This is not just like folklore. This is reality. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it says here that God gave them what God had promised, and they experienced it. God, let it be so for us. I want that, and I believe in that. And I would also love it if that were the end of the chapter. I'm good ending right there. But here's the next word he says. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. 
They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. In other words, they had an eternal view. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God promised. See the contrast? For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. It's like their faith is an example to us today. They're receiving their perfect reward in heaven. And we can look at them and say, if people can stay faithful through that, certainly I could stay faithful. I could be patient. I could wait on the Lord too. Because I don't know that stuff. I don't want to know that stuff. I wish nobody knew that stuff. But what I know is that we serve a God who has all of eternity to right the wrongs of this world. That even the evil pharaohs, they meet justice when they meet the Lord. That those who were enslaved, that, that they can receive a reward an eternity of freedom that was only made possible through Jesus Christ when he would give his life as a sacrifice for sins. How do you do with waiting? How are you doing with being patient and trusting the Lord? It's hard. It really is. And, and look, I want the easy, pain-free life as much as the next person. But the reality is I'm not going to always have it. You're probably not either. It's been said that it's not what we go through in life. It's what we grow through in life. And, and just because you're going through pain does not ensure that you're going to grow spiritually. It's not like an automatic connection here, right? We've got to seek the Lord in the place of pain. We've got to trust the Lord. We've got to continue to give ourselves to the Lord, to ask that he would help us through, help us to be faithful uh, until this ends or until the end, if that's what it takes. That instead of trusting in some genie God, that if I push the right buttons, that he has to give me everything I want, I trust in a God whose ways are higher than mine. I trust in a God who I believe to be faithful. I trust in a God who I've experienced to be faithful. So even for impatient people like me, we can wait. We can trust in the Lord. Maybe you're, you're waiting to get done with school, to be able to get out there into the things that God's calling you to. Maybe you're, you're waiting to, to get married. You'd really love for that to happen, and you're waiting on God to send that right person. Or maybe you're, you're waiting for, for a child. Or maybe you're waiting for another job or an, another opportunity. Maybe you're waiting for a healing. You're waiting for a relational reconciliation. You, you're, you're waiting for, for whatever it is, something financial or something, whatever it may be. You're waiting. You're waiting. Can we be a people who are faithful in the midst of that wait?
a people who trust God in it. Waiting on the Lord means learning to live with silence and tension sometimes. Waiting on the Lord means being faithful even on those days where everything is going south. Waiting on the Lord is being faithful to continue praying even when I don't see the answer that I wish I could see. But I believe, I believe he's always worthy of the wait because his ways are higher than our ways. His promises are greater than what I could ever ask or imagine. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who serve him. Whatever it is you're waiting for, it's not as good as what God has promised. Whatever it is you're dreaming heaven is, it's not as good as what God has promised. Whatever it is, God is greater. His ways are higher. Your best days are ahead of you if you are living in God's time. They always are because God's work draws us closer to himself and we get to experience the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. You know, for the follower of Jesus, this life here on earth, it's as close close to hell as we get. And for the person who's not a follower of Jesus, this life here on earth is as close to heaven as you're going to see. I challenge you, please say yes to Jesus. And please be faithful in that wait. He's worthy of it. His promises are true. I want to just give you just a few of them. Just scratch the surface here. Isaiah 40, 29. God gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall grow faint and weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But like we sang earlier, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hear that person who's ready to throw in the towel. Hear that if you're here and you think you've had all the waiting you can handle. God is not done with you yet. God is not giving up on you. God is not ignoring you. No, God will be faithful. 41.10, do not be afraid, for I am with you, God says. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Even the book of Lamentations gets on board with this. God is faithful to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And finally from Jesus, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's Jesus' promise. He's worth the wait. His ways are worth the wait. I want to challenge you this week to do something, maybe even later this afternoon. Uh, grab a sheet of paper, sit down at your computer, and, and make two lists. And the first list, I want you to list those things that you're waiting on the Lord for right now. Maybe you've given up hope. Maybe you've gotten tired of praying, maybe you're seeking God faithfully, whatever it may be, those things that you're waiting on the Lord for now, just, just write them out. And in the other list, the second list, I want you to think backwards and remember times where you waited on God, where you prayed and it seemed like God wasn't listening or something you got a no or a wait answer and it seemed so wrong, but now you understand why. Write down those times of God's faithfulness. And pray and ask God that he would help you to have faith in him for the future.
because who he's been to you throughout your life. God's faithfulness yesterday is the greatest indicator of God's faithfulness today and tomorrow because God never changes. So God, here we are. We're waiting on you. We're a people who desperately need you, desperately seek you, who can't do life without you, who need the power of your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. God, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would touch us today. For the one who's ready to give up or for the one who's just early in the waiting process, God, would you give us the strength to wait on you? Would you give us the courage to stay in the ring? Would you give us the courage to continue this fight of faith that we may seek you and seek your approval and your honor only? We don't want the approval of man. We want the approval of you, God. Help us to be faithful in all things, for you are faithful to us. God, we love you so very, very much. And we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.